0: I'm Jeffrey Meyerhardt from Medical Oncology at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute.
1: I'm Ronald Bladet from the Department of Surgery at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and from the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And you are listening to the HowWeTreat.org podcast. We're here today with our new podcast topic, which is Young Adult Colorectal Cancer, a New and Frightening Problem. It's something that we began to recognize recently, and it, the phenomenon has um, made us look back and say, well, maybe we need to have a specialty center just for this for this problem and for this demographic. So here today to introduce the center is Kimmy Ng, and then Jeff Meyerhardt will also discuss Possibly, what are the causes of this new phenomenon? Kimmy.
2: Yeah, so I think that we have all been noticing in recent years that our patients coming in with colon and rectal cancer have been getting younger and younger. Whereas typically the average age of diagnosis of colon cancer is mid to late 60s, we are increasingly seeing patients who are in their 40s, in their 30s, even in their 20s, coming in with no, none of the traditional risk factors that we typically associate and also no family history of this cancer in their family. So it led us to wonder what was, what was going on. And recently, a paper from the Journal of the National Cancer Institute did uh, confirm that there has been an increasing uh, trend of colon and rectal cancer in individuals under the age of 50. While the overall rate of colon and rectal cancer is going down in the overall population, especially those over 55, largely due to screening, the rates are increasing for several decades now in those who are under the age of 50. And the rise is particularly prominent for rectal cancer. And again, the reasons are really unknown. We also don't know whether or not the cancers that develop in younger individuals versus older individuals are biologically different or unique compared uh, to typical colon cancer. And that is part of the research effort that we will be initiating as part of this new young onset colorectal cancer center.
1: And so the center will have clinical care and address maybe some of the unique things that we see in young people. We'll have basically a Every person will get a genetics consult to see if it's a genetically related cancer and then also kind of genetics plus, which is the molecular look at these cancers in these young people. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and some of the research that that comes from that sort of extra molecular look?
2: So while it's difficult to get a diagnosis of colon cancer, no matter what age you are, we realize that younger people face unique challenges when they, are, uh, when they have a diagnosis of cancer. And so part of the clinical mission of the center is to better address all of these particular aspects that are unique to young people. So we have instituted a program where every young patient gets assigned a program coordinator will help them navigate their cancer experience at Dana-Farber. They will help oversee referrals to all the supportive services and resources that are available here, as well as help to coordinate care and scheduling of appointments. As Ron, you mentioned, a genetics evaluation is really important because although the majority of these young onset colon cancer cases are not due to a hereditary syndrome, there is a slightly higher rate of a genetic predisposition being found in younger people. So upfront expedited, genetics evaluation will be a key component. Another component related to genetics is a personalized treatment approach where we will be sequencing the tumors of every young onset colorectal cancer patient to try to identify molecular abnormalities that maybe we can target specifically and design a personalized approach to their care. So every patient's results will be reviewed at a molecular tumor board and a personalized treatment recommendation report returned to the treating oncologist.
1: You mentioned a little bit about the psychosocial aspects of the disease in young people, and in particular, we'll have a separate podcast highlighting a case where uh, a young woman is going to be irradiated and the effects of that, and also the issues with uh, men in terms of uh, erectile function, uh, which can really uh, be a quite profound uh, risk to these these young people. So, so Jeff... um, there's a million-dollar question, which or maybe higher, <laughs> that is, what is the cause of this phenomenon? What, what has happened in the last couple decades that has led to this change in the number of, of young people getting cancer, colorectal cancer?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we don't know for sure. Um, as Kimmy mentioned, there's clear risk factors for developing colorectal cancer. There's genetics, but there's no real evidence that there's more patients who have Lynch syndrome or Lynch syndrome patients are having more offspring, per se, and leading to more uh, cancers in that setting. Two of the main risk factor, two of the non sort of, not related to ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease or, or genetics are things that upset energy balance, particularly obesity and physical activity or lack of physical activity. And we do know that over the past several decades, overall, the United States has gotten larger uh, in size. The rates of obesity have increased markedly uh, in nearly every state. The amount of physical activity people get is also decreased. Jobs are much more sedentary now. Exposure outside is less, so less vitamin D exposure. So a variety of these factors are probably at play and, and people are getting those exposures younger because of childhood abuse, also going up, and that's probably. And there are some studies that have started to look at this and, and showed that, that, that that's particularly true that the younger people are getting earlier cancers uh, who have some of these exposures. Um, I think part of the center, maybe Kimmy could talk a little bit more, is the research component to try to really try to tease some of this out as well. And so I think that trying to understand from the patients that are coming here? Is there causes that we can delineate, as well as how to treat the patients? I don't know if you want to speak a little bit more of the research component of the center.
2: Yes, yeah, so one of the flagship components of the new center is the creation of a new longitudinal prospective cohort of young onset patients that will be called the BEYOND CRC project. And it stands for a better understanding of young onset colorectal cancer. And our goal is to really try and partner with young patients all around the country to understand what are some of the risk factors and to study their tumors and blood samples and stool samples to try and investigate whether cancers that develop in younger individuals are potentially different, potentially more aggressive than typical onset colorectal cancer. Some of our theories do revolve around maybe the microbiome, which is a community of bacteria that live in your gut, potentially having a role. And we know that the microbiome can be affected by antibiotic use, which has been increasing in recent decades, diet and lifestyle changes, um, and all of that could affect the immune environment, all of which may be interacting uh, to lead to this phenomenon. So those are some of the hypotheses that we'll be investigating as part of this new research study.
1: And so... When a patient or an outside uh, physician who has a patient wants to get in touch with us, they just call up the Dana-Farber Colorectal Cancer Clinic, and then anybody under the age of 50 will be flagged for a, a visit with the extra resources for uh, young adults.
2: Exactly. They will be met, every single one of them, by our new program coordinator who will introduce them to the center, identify all the supports and resources that we have available to them to help make their experience and the their family's experience as easy as possible here, and also help introduce them to the research opportunities that are available.
0: Yeah. And they can also explore the website yes. that's now been created specifically for the center.
2: Yes. So that's www.dana-farber.org slash youngcrc.
1: Well, great. Now we'll uh, uh, be talking uh, about specific patients that come in with this as part of the rest of this uh, podcast, so I want to thank you, too, for introducing this uh, great resource uh, for really all of New England.
0: Thank you. Thank
1: you. So, Kimmy, we recently had a patient that came in actually through the surgical office Uh, a woman in her mid-30s who had mid-rectal cancer diagnosed, we did the imaging. She sort of had partial imaging, and then we uh, supplemented it with an MRI, which has become the kind of standard for patients with rectal cancer and getting more precise staging. And it turned out that this uh, tumor was a T3N2 mid-rectal cancer with unequivocal nodes. Sometimes we talk about whether an 8-millimeter node is positive or negative, but these were one and a half centimeters and with suspicious morphology and it it brought up a lot of the questions that we have to bring up with these young people of well if we offer standard treatment which we would to maybe a 60 year old and a young woman we're going to be hitting their uterus and their ovaries and so their fertility is is going to be gone. But even if a person does not want to have children, the ovaries are usually going to have a hard stop, and a, and a woman in her mid-30s is going to go into menopause. So why don't you sort of uh, talk a little bit about the options that we discussed, and then maybe Jeff can talk about uh, a little bit about uh, uh, where PROSPECT is, uh, because what's going to happen is when PROSPECT comes out, if it's even an equivalent study... It might give us more options where we don't have to use radiation on these patients.
2: So the standard approach to treating somebody with a T3N2 mid-rectal cancer these days is still probably starting with chemotherapy and radiation, followed by surgery, followed by an additional four months of chemotherapy. For this young lady, Ron, if you remember initially, we weren't sure whether she wanted to have kids and wanted to preserve fertility. We weren't exactly sure of her exact stage. So we talked about whether there were different ways and alternative approaches to trying to save all those things and consider all those aspects while still being aggressive and trying to cure her of this cancer. It turns out after we got the MRI that she had a very bulky tumor with a lot of large lymph nodes that, as you said, were unequivocal in being consistent with regional metastases. And so um, sometimes with these more advanced tumors, we have been moving towards a TNT or total neoadjuvant therapy approach where we try to give all of the therapy chemotherapy as well as chemotherapy and radiation up front before surgery to try and downstage as much as possible to ensure as successful a surgery as possible. And so those were the options that we were considering. And in light of the uh, the fact that she hadn't had children yet, um, we were really trying to think through whether or not we could remove radiation, pelvic radiation, from her treatment. With the T3N2 tumor, I think all of us felt very uncomfortable with eliminating that part of the treatment uh, because we thought it might compromise her ultimate chances of having a cure. Uh, fortunately, uh, you know she actually was very convi- She was very sure that she did not want children, and so that made our decision going forward about treatment a little bit easier. But I think it brings up a great point about whether or not we can selectively eliminate radiation for some of these patients to consider a fertility uh, preservation. Yeah.
1: And so, Jeff, where does the prospect trial sit right now? I, I heard it's closed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what do you think about in a young person like this? Let's say they had a uh, smaller tumor, one not so bulky. Uh, we have treated a couple patients in the last couple of years off protocol just with chemotherapy with pretty good results.
0: Yeah. So just to remind everyone, the Prospect study was a study that was run through Alliance, one of the National Cancer Treatment Network's uh, uh, groups, and it was an intergroup study looking at uh, whether you can re- remove essentially a modality of therapy in the three modalities chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery. So its patients will get standard treatment as Kimmy pointed out at the beginning of chemotherapy and radiation. That's half of them got that and the other half started with uh, full fox chemotherapy only and then after six cycles were reassessed and uh, if they had at least 20% reduction uh, 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 in their tumor. Then they went forward with surgery. If they didn't, then they actually got chemotherapy radiation. So some of them still do get chemotherapy radiation, but a good most of them actually uh, uh, moved forward with surgery. Um, this patient wasn't wouldn't exactly have qualified, both because it was a bulky tumor and because it was N2. So it was it's, it was limited to patients who had not T4 disease and did not have N2 disease and weren't too low. So for all those reasons, this patient wouldn't necessarily qualify. The study, as you pointed out, close to CRUEL in the fall of 2018, there's several endpoints to be looked at. So there'll be, you know, nearly all of them within a few months will have had surgery. And so there'll be the endpoint of being able to look at What's the responses and how many had a complete clinical response or complete pathological response? But the ultimate disease free survival is going to actually be several years from now. Still, Um, there's also a lot of embedded studies looking at quality of life. There's been there frequent assessments of quality of life throughout. Uh, There's uh, assessments of the radiographs to be able to sort of understand how to best stage these patients. A lot of uh, biospecimens were collected, so there'll be a lot of information we'll learn about rectal cancer. Uh, uh, from the study, but again, it's ultimately trying to understand, can you remove radiation, particularly for someone where their risk of local recurrence could potentially be a little lower, and with is chemotherapy enough to be able to uh, 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 reduce it compared to surgery alone? Right.
1: And to summarize, the effects of radiation on the pelvis in a young woman are not just hitting the ovaries and making them sort of non-functional, but also the uterus. Uh, a woman can't carry a child uh, after the uterus has been irradiated. So when young women who then want to have children, this young woman is going to be getting an, uh, a, basically an ovarian pexi, have the ovaries lifted out of the radiation field, so they'll be preserved. Um, and then if she does want to have children in the future, then there's things like IVF and then a surrogate. Uh, so there are uh, there are ways that uh, people can you know, go and uh, fulfill the desire to have children, even if they get radiation, um, as long as you're at, I might as well sort of advertise for us, as long as you're at a specialty center like this, where we can get our gynecology colleagues and our radiation colleagues and everyone to work together to provide that uh, service for that individual. Right,
0: and having that service sort of quickly, relatively, exactly. right? Because these patients do need to start treatment So having access to those services where things can be done so you can get started with treatment.
1: Right, right.
2: I'm Dr. Kimmy Eng from the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and you're listening to the How We Treat podcast.